podcasting world, and welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. My name is Mike Corvino. With me, as always, Cole Swanson. Cole, what's up, man? Doing great. Summer's upon us. It is hot outside. Yeah, I went to walk to the uh, gas station today after during lunchtime to mm-hmm. get a to get a drink and I had a heat stroke. Really? Yep. Eighty nine degrees. Eighty nine degrees. That's all you can take. That's all I can handle. It's done. Yeah, it gets hot down here. Nah, it wasn't too bad. It's it actually pretty nice out today. Gets muggy too. Does yeah. Once actual summer comes around, it's game over. You can't go outside. Basically, July, August, September. You're done. Nothing. Done. Nope. All right. So, what are we talking about today? Well, we're um, we're completing another suite. So we did, <laughs> right? We did um, yeah, sweet. <laughs> yeah, we did the other thyroid last time. And uh, now we've done Crohn's or Crone, whatever it's called. And today we're doing UC. <laughs> remember that? I do remember that. that controversy for our London listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, so we have so many London listeners. <laughs> Actually, I think we have some. Uh, so ulcerative colitis. That's what we're doing today. Ulcerative colitis. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So this is, uh, we did, how long ago was the Crohn's disease? I looked, I think it was probably in the 30s as far as episodes go. Okay. I was so going to say. must have been four months ago. Okay. So, or yeah, because I think it was right soon after the uh, new guidelines came out. Yeah. And then, so now we got new, new guidelines for ulcerative colitis. Got that new, new for the UC. That new, new for the UC. Yeah. So, you know, put that one on a t-shirt. It's a new episode. That's what we're going with. All the core console t-shirts. Oh, man. So many. Uh, so, yeah. So, we'll we'll talk through those guidelines a little bit. We'll do our um, standard overview of UC and um, give you some background. I have some interesting stuff on epidemiology, I think. Okay. Risk factors and such. So What? Uh, so, what is UC? Obviously, it's different than Crohn's, uh, but it's a chronic inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's, but it involves the mucosa of the rectum that can extend proximally. Uh, to involve the colon and the cecum. So basically any part of the large intestine can be affected by UC um, from the rectum to the cecum, but not really small intestine, whereas Crohn's can affect any part of the intestine. Uh, it's most commonly uh, in people between ages 10 to 40. Symptoms are usually bloody diarrhea, fecal urgency, uh, tenesmus, which is um, basically a feeling of incomplete emptying of the bowel, um, you can have, it's it's an inflammatory disorder, and sometimes it kind of goes along with other inflammatory disorders. Um, IBD in particular does. Um, so stuff like arthritis, uvitis, inflammation of um, the whites of the eye, uh, urethema nodosum, uh, pyroderma gangrenosum. About a fourth of patients are going to have some other type of inflammatory disorder that goes along with IBD. Um, there's even thought that some central pain disorders um, like fibromyalgia, might uh, this might be kind of a part of fibromyalgia too. Um, so if you have a patient complaining of that and complaining of various other things, um, it could be it could be involved there. Uh, so treating the underlying fibromyalgia centrally could help with this, but we're going to talk mostly on just treating the UC. Uh, it generally follows a chronic course with exacerbations and remissions. So we're going to talk about how to um, induce and maintain remission. And it is associated with increased risk of colon cancer, which uh, obviously is not great. So we'll want to do what we can to mitigate that risk. 
Yep, absolutely. So um, going through, Cole mentioned a few of them, but some of the general characteristics, and I really want to compare and contrast this against Crohn's disease because um, they are both subtypes of inflammatory bowel disease. And so it's important to kind of be able to differentiate them. Um, so just to name, you know, a couple characteristics, um, just like with uh, Cole said, typically um, with ulcerative colitis, you're going to have, you know, inflammation that affects the mucosal um, lining. It's not going to go deeper into that. It's not going to go through multiple uh, mucosal layers. So it's going to be kind of more superficial. Um, you're not usually going to see um, like small intestine um, inflammation as well like you would with uh, Crohn's disease. It's more um, going to be a little bit further down in the in the colon. Um, you're usually going to have like this continuous inflammation um, that you'll have these crypt abscesses that can form. Now, those can be very rarely seen also in Crohn's disease as well. They're not completely indicative of ulcerative colitis, but it is something that's much more likely to show up with uh, UC. Um, yeah, if, we, you, if you Google pictures you know, um, endoscopic pictures of both of these, you'll, you'll see a physical difference between them. You'll, you'll be able to observe it even if you don't exactly know what it's called. So in typically like when we think of Crohn's disease, we're looking for more like ileal involvement. Um, it's like this cobblestone appearance is often described. Uh, fistulas are very commonly formed. Um, we don't really see that usually speaking with ulcerative colitis. Um, but yeah, you know, like Cole said, you get these exacerbations and of this in- inflammation, these flares, and then uh, ideally uh, the person goes back into remission um, and stays there for sometimes the re- remaining of their life, or in other times, um, most likely it's going to flare back up again at some point. Right. Um, and then the other uh, the other thing to kind of watch out for with ulcerative colitis is um, Nicole mentioned cancer. Obviously, that's that's a very um, big concern. Um, but also uh, iron deficiency, anemia, um, hemorrhage is is very common, um, and then toxic megacolon um, is also a concern with ulcerative colitis. So, um, you know, megacolon where the, you get this dilation of the colon and you could eventually have uh, perforation, uh, which would then lead to the, the stool dumping into this normally sterile um, peritoneum and would cause some, uh, some toxicity, some infections and potentially death. So um, definitely something to watch for. If, if you were assessing a patient for toxic megacolon, um, you'd be looking for things like fever, um, usually 101.5 degrees Fahrenheit or more. Um, you'd have tachycardia. A lot of times you'll have an absence of bowel sounds, um, a decrease in stool frequency, and then, you know, obviously some other things if you were to have uh, actual perforation. But um, toxic megacolon is a very big concern that can be uh, life-threatening. So Yeah, so they would need emergent treatment. Yeah. And um, if, if you're, you know, really trying to decide and you're trying to diagnose it, um, there are some criteria. So toxic megacolon is basically, like you said, dilation of at least six centimeters with fulminant colitis, um, which is just sounds incredibly unpleasant. But sudden onset of severe and frequent bloody bowel movements of greater than 10 per day, along with a lot of the other stuff that Mike said, um, you know, leukocytosis, uh, um, fever, all that kind of stuff, but yeah, it's just gonna be it's gonna be a bad day if you got this. So, what is um, inflammatory bowel disease? Is it autoimmune? Is it what is it? What's, uh, ca- what's causing it? That's the real question, right? It is. Yeah. 
you like how I segue that? Yeah, it's yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, just improv, just improving over here. <laughs> now, the, the the actual like etiology seems to be somewhat complex. Like there seems to be this autoimmune uh, response where you're getting this inappropriate T cell response um, to your your normal interstitial flora. Um, which is obviously going to cause overproduction of interferons, tumor necrosis factor, and other different cytokines and whatnot. So you get this inflammation. Um, there's also some theories out there that talk about the loss of tolerance um, or alteration of your normal gut flora. Um, so you could eventually lead to like bacterial overgrowth, um, increase in bacterial uh, toxins that are produced, um, which could be playing a role. And there's also uh, obviously a big genetic component. Um, they see um, a lot of uh, high, a high concordance of twins um, with, with uh, IBD. Um, and there have been several genetic biomarkers that have been established. We won't go that route today, but um, there does seem to be a, a strong genetic component, but they're not 100% sure exactly why people end up getting this, but um, it seems to be a, a more complex etiology than just so a, a single reason causing it. Yeah, definitely multifactorial. Um, like I said, it, it can be associated with various pain disorders, anxiety disorders, um, can just come out of nowhere. Uh, interestingly, I'll go through some of the risk factors, but one is um, like if you had a more pleasant um, childhood, basically, then you're more likely to have UC as opposed to if you were frequently sick or if um, if you grew up in, you know, maybe a, a poor neighborhood or lower income, you're less likely, which... I think it's strange, but um, anyways, you can you can diagnose it a couple of ways. Uh, the first is endoscopy. Um, so, like Mike said, you would see symmetric, continuous uh, circumferential mucosal alterations. Uh, they might have uh, for uh, for friability. Almost said fragility, but friability. So, if you touch it, it can be it might bleed easily. Uh, granularity, ulceration in the colon. You could also uh, biopsy the um, mucosa, and you would see findings of chronic active colitis. So that's how you would diagnose it. Um, but uh, like you said, I don't think we, we kind of mentioned the different types. Uh, we generally said it can affect multiple portions of the colon, uh, but there is distal ulcerative colitis. Um, so that's where the disease is limited to below the descending colon. Um, so therefore it would be within reach of rectal therapy and we'll talk about the different drug options there. Also, there's extensive UC, uh, which would be extending proximally that's closer to the small intestine. Um, so to the descending colon, and then it would require systemic therapy, rectal therapy, um, may not be as effective in that case. Yeah. And there's definitely some lifestyle, um, things we have to cover too, just before we kind of, um, go into the meds. But um, some environmental factors, um, they can definitely affect ulcerative colitis. Um, diets, um, which we typically, uh, our Western diet, which is you know, high in sugar, um, has a lot of refined foods. We usually have low fiber in our diets. Um, and, you know, all of those things can potentially exacerbate the symptoms. Um, you know, certain medications like NSAIDs, they can, can trigger a flare, um, you know, medications that, uh, especially if somebody has a has a diagnosis of ulcerative colitis, medications that um, can cause diarrhea as an adverse effect, you got to use with caution because that could also cause a flare. Um, and then one thing that's kind of different about ulcerative colitis, and spe specifically when you compare it to Crohn's, 
is uh, nicotine. So mm-hmm. smoking is actually protective for ulcerative colitis. So you, if you have a patient who is thinking about quitting smoking and they have ulcerative colitis, you do have to kind of watch for a flare-up because that can them taking that nicotine out of their system can actually induce a, a flare. Yeah. So it's kind of uh, that's it's like one of the only disease states that you really Smoke, benefit from smoking. smoking is good for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's cool. I mean, back in the day, I think they they thought it cleansed the lungs. You know. Yeah. People had like Does a pneumonia. No, I, I mean, I don't know. Wait, I, the science hasn't really don't been you settled. smoke? Of course, no. <laughs> hasn't been settled yet. Right, it's, it's not settled science. Uh, other risk factors. So there's some conflicting evidence of certain other medications like isotretinoin. Um, some studies say, yeah, there's there's a slight increased risk. Others uh, don't show that. So you know, might might be something to consider in patients who are taking it. Um, Along with the diet, so other foods like bitter white wine, burgers, other Western food, soft drinks, sausages, um, or other red wines and coffee, those can make it a little worse or increase your risk for it at least. Uh, I mentioned the better living conditions in childhood, which um, so interesting. So um, countries who might not be considered um, industrialized are, they actually have a lower risk of UC, and so Western um, industrialized countries have a higher risk. So as far as prevalence goes, I mentioned peak onset between 10 and 40 years old. Um, between men and women, it's pretty much the same, more common in, in people of Jewish descent in white patients versus non-white patients. Um, also, as far as area, I thought this was kind of funny. So the highest reported prevalence is Norway, 505 people per 100,000. Also Germany, 412 people per 100,000. Um, and then uh, 286 per 100,000 in Olmsted County, Minnesota. <laughs> so we've got Norway, Germany, and then you uh, poor folks in Olmsted County also have the third, third highest risk of UC. So I don't know what you guys are doing down there, all 10 of you. Having kids and not moving, <laughs> right. passing those genetics on. <laughs> Olmstead County. Huh, never been there. I love it. All right, so let's talk real quick, but I guess, too, before we get into medications, like about the classification and uh, severity scoring, if you will, of ulcerative colitis. So there's not, like, any specific... Uh, um, rating system. There's several available that you can use. Um, basically, though, the the one that's you know, it's, there's several listed into the guidelines as well. But um, just to kind of give you an example, um, when we're talking about um, like mild ulcerative colitis, um, typically speaking, that's going to be fewer than four stools daily, um, with or without blood, no systemic disturbance. And usually patients are going to have a normal erythrocyte sedimentation rate or ESR. Uh, moderate, usually going to be having more than four, four stools, but still going to have like minimum um, or minimal rather systemic disturbance. Um, severe is going to be where you're having like six stools per day. Um, typically there's going to be blood present. Um, there's going to be some systemic uh, disturbance, um, typically in the, with fever or tachycardia. Um, there may be some anemia by this point. Um, and then fulminant, which is kind of like the most severe, more than 10 bowel movements per day with continuous bleeding, toxicity, abdominal tenderness. Um, this is, could even end up requiring transfusions, um, and you may have some colonic dilation, worrying about, again, toxic megacolon. So um, that's kind of the breakdown of the severity, and then we'll talk about treatment options based on that. But where do you want to start? You want to go and pop into treatment? Sure, yeah, yeah. So um, as far as goals, the the 
goal is, of course, induction and maintenance of remission of these symptoms. You want to improve their quality of life. This can be um, psychologically um, taxing for patients, of course, especially. Um, I knew people in school who um, had IBD. We talked about this in Crohn's as well. Um, it's tough for them to you know, sit through exams if they have a job. Surely it's tough for them to... Um, to get through a work day without uh, potential embarrassment or um, other issues. So it's important to get this under control quickly and uh, prevent, um, prevent further issues. And also a goal would be to reduce long-term need for corticosteroids. So a lot of these patients um, go through um, steroid um, bouts frequently. Uh, sometimes it's tempting to keep them on it long-term but we know that there are a lot of side effects associated with long-term steroid use. So we want to do whatever we can to reduce that. Um, and hopefully through these options, you can. So uh, I guess we'll start with the old school drugs, the amino salicylates. Sure. Um, so the first the first amino salicylate is probably the most common that's still, you know, st- still used in, in some patients, not super often, but still, still out there, is the sulfasalazine. Um, so what sulfasalazine is, is it basically is made up of two different, um, drugs. It's got this sulfonamide, uh, moiety, um, that's a, a sulfopyridine and it also has mesalamine, um, together. They're, they're kind of bonded together, but when you ingest the, the medication, um, the gut bacteria actually in the colon will separate the two and the, um, the sulfapyridine is actually absorbed and then excreted in the urine. Your body doesn't usually just get rid of it. Um, the mesalamine um, typically remains in the colon. And, and the thought process is that it's able to um, reduce some of the inflammatory mediators like that TNF-alpha, um, you know, things like uh, interleukin, um, different leukotrienes, prostaglandins. Um, it's even thought to like scavenge some free radicals, um, has several different p- proposed mechanisms of action. Um, but uh, it is a sulfa drug. So if you have a, a true sulfa allergy, you can't use it. Any kind of like GI obstruction, you can't use it. And there, there are cases of pretty severe um, reactions to it, such as like Stephen Johnson's. Um, there is patients that have had hepatic failure with it, pulmonary fibrosis and, you know, some other things. So, uh, there are some better drugs in the market now, which we're going to go over, but this one is still available. And so it's important to know that's out there. Yeah. Probably frequently wouldn't be considered first line, but, um, or but any it, line. yeah, or any <laughs> line, but it is, it is an option. Yeah. Um, frequently a, um, first line drug, it has various, um, formulations would be uh, mesalamine is an option. Uh, mesalamine uh, frequently is a drug of choice for maintaining remission. Uh, it can be used. So new guideline wise in extensive mild to moderate UC. Um, so they would prefer mesalamine doses of two to three grams a day, which um, as opposed to lower doses or sulfasalazine or just watching and waiting. Um, and in patients with uh, extensive or left-sided mild to moderate uh, you can add rectal mesalamine um, to an oral um, 5-ASA regimen, uh, which is an option. So combining those has actually been shown to uh, be more useful than just the oral option or the um, or the rectal option by itself. I mentioned the multiple formulations, so I think we went over some of this in Crohn's. Um, so Pentassa and Asacol, they are, uh, I guess, more extensive or more systemic. So Pentassa really affects every part of the intestine, including the small intestine. 
Um, acetal affects every portion but the jejunum. So me and Mike were kind of talking about this pre-recording. Um, so obviously with UC, it's, it's limited to the large intestine. Um, so if you have options that can affect the entirety of the large intestine or just the portion that's affected, um, then it's a little unnecessary to use ones that would be more systemic, especially if they're really expensive. Um, and then in Crohn's, these aren't exactly a preferred option anymore. So for these more systemic misalamine um, formulations, not, not a huge use for them anymore, I guess. Uh, there's also misalamine suppository, so that's what you would want to use specifically if there's just rectal involvement. Um, and then moving more uh, proximally, if you have a um, affected distal colon, you can use a misalamine enema or a steroid enema like hydrocortisone. Uh, and then if it's also affecting the proximal colon up near the cecum, uh, there's a prezo, um, lialda, um, delzacol, a few other options there. Um, not all misalamine, but um, that would be affecting the entirety of the large intestine. And, and also, too, as far as terminology goes, sometimes with, like, the suppositories, you'll see ulcerative proctitis. Um, that's basically the, the UC found only in the, the rectum. And then if you see, like he said, uh, um, distal colon, also can be referred to as the left-sided colitis. Um, that would also be um, another term you might see, and that's where the enema would come into play. Yeah, that um, always gets me because when you're looking at it on the screen, obviously it's on the right side, mm. but then you have to actually be smart and think, oh, anatomy. Yeah, anatomy. <laughs> this was a person. Yeah, it's going to be a little different. Yeah. Lefts and rights are hard, though. I know. Gosh. I try not to use them as often as possible. <laughs> um, so the the other option that's that's available now, we, you know, ideally we want to save steroids just because of some of the systemic effects and whatnot. Um, but there are, um, there, there's a steroid formulation that is, uh, available, um, and it's specific to, um, ulcerative colitis. There's another version that's specific for Crohn's, but, um, there's a bedicinide, um, corticosteroid. And the one that's made specifically for, um, ulcerative colitis is the Eucerus, is the brand name. Um, and you'll see it, it's, it's budesonide with MMX technologies, which you might see it referred to. That's like a, it's just a nine milligram extended release um, tablet that's made very specifically to release in the colon. Um, and you can use it, it's dose nine milligrams once daily. And uh, you do that for eight weeks um, for active disease and hopefully can reduce some of that um, inflammation and, and get the person back into to remission. Um but yeah, it's it's made specifically to release in the colon. Whereas the the version, the um, Intercore EC, the version that's made specifically for Crohn's disease, that one releases in the terminal ileum. So that's why they use that one in Crohn's um, versus this one in, in ulcerative colitis, the, the ulcerous and ulcerative colitis. So it's important not to get those two switched around because right. you can come up with that nine milligram dose if you want to with the other. But they are two different drugs and released two separate spots of the GI tract. It's going to affect two totally different things. Do not mix them up. Not going to work. It's going to be expensive. Very expensive mistake. Um, so yeah, basically you're you're just kind of walking through these. You're you're trying to get you're trying to induce remission. Um, you're going with maximally tolerated doses or recommended doses of these, and then moving on to the next thing or adding on something else. Um, other oral steroids like prednisone can be used, forty to sixty milligrams a day to induce remission. Uh, and then there are the TNF, the tumor necrosis factor inhibitors, uh, various ones, and and we'll go through the options there as well. Yeah. Um, so like Cole said, just to kind of, for those of you who are more like algorithm, uh, based, if you have mild to moderate 
uh, ulcerative colitis. Um, think if it's again one more time if it's stuck, you know, if it's if it's only in the the rectum, the proctitis, then you can do suppository. Um, if you're looking at the um, left side of colon, you're looking at enemas, and then anywhere further than that, you're going to do one of the oral agents, mm-hmm. the mesalamines. Um, if that's not working, you're not getting the patient any relief from that. It's still looking at you know mild active case, but it's it's not getting remission. Steroid would be your next one, and it would be the budesonide would probably be the best option. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going from there, um, like I said, we have other options, but we will uh, we'll break those out. Um, anything else we should add for mild? Uh, they they do recommend the new the new guidelines. Um, recommend against systemic corticosteroids for maintenance of remission, yeah. um, especially in mild. Yep. Um, so if you have mild uh, active colitis, you're going to want to get the person to remission with one of the mesalamines, and then most likely you're going to kind of just keep them there um, with one of the mesalamine derivatives. Um, you're not going to just give them steroids indefinitely. <laughs> that would be dumb. Um, I also meant to mention that... Um, I actually want to mention two things. So one other thing that, that would increase that people think might increase your risk would be like antibiotic use. Um, studies they've looked at, some made analyses don't really show an increased risk of UC with antibiotic use. Um, and the new guidelines don't make a recommendation for the use of probiotics in UC. Um, I figure it's generally safe if a patient really feels strongly about it, but uh, you just may not get um, any benefit from it. Also, people who grew up around farm animals and cats uh, also are at lower risk for UC. thought that was interesting because um, I got a cat yesterday. Did you? Did I tell you that? Yeah. No, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, Russian blue. Oh, boy. They apparently don't shed as much as other cats. You're officially married. I, I, tell me about it. I'm not a huge cat person, but... Uh, I but like, it doesn't matter because you're getting one. It, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I like her. She's good. That's cool. Yeah, she... she, she is it a kitten? No, no. She's a rescue six-year-old. Mm. Well, I don't really like kittens. They scratch S- things. Saved her out of a burning building, huh? You were right. A rescue. Yes, I, I did. I ran right in. <laughs> I ran in. No regard to my own safety. I said, I said, just stay here, firefighters. I got it. <laughs> it's all me. Came out with a cat. Right. <laughs> what a nightmare. Uh, but yeah, you know, she comes when she's called, lets you rub her tummy. It's that's pretty cool. good. I, I look forward to toxoplasmosis someday. So. Yeah, that's good. I hear you uh, can, can be a lot more reckless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, type characteristics yeah. if you get toxin plasma. So, so that's cool. I mean, cool. you know, maybe I'll be the one buying all sorts of stuff for the podcast. All, all this, I think I for sure have it. And then, <laughs> and then maybe one else I see, I see you show up with a uh, motorcycle one day. I'm right. like, oh no. <laughs> Take my helmet off the podcast. He's got it. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> Just came from uh, surfing. Yeah. Is that what reckless people I, do? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's point, point break, I guess. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh, let's go into like moderate um, ulcerative colitis. So moderate, they do recommend using the budesonide um, steroid in order to induce that remission. Um, so before we were talking about mild, now we're into moderate. Um, and then if the person is, has moderate to severe, um, they, they do recommend you can use oral systemic corticosteroids to induce remission. You just don't want to keep them. On right. steroids once they reach remission. So the idea is to limit, just limit use as much as possible, but sometimes you got to use them. Yeah. Um, the the other big thing is um, the other class of medications that we need to talk about, and we'll, I guess we should break these down first before we keep going through the, uh, like the treatment algorithm, but the immunomodulators, immunosuppressants, mm-hmm. um, whatever you want to call them, the basically the big ones are azathioprine, 
Um, and then you also have merkeptopurine, um, methotrexate and cyclosporin mm-hmm. are, are used. Um, methotrexate actually has no evidence though in ulcerative colitis. So although that gets lumped in with inflammatory bowel disease, you're saving that one for Crohn's. Don't use that in, in uh, ulcerative colitis. So keep that in mind. So but methotrexate is, is definitely used in Crohn's still. Um, but azathioprine absolutely mm-hmm. is still used. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and, probably the most of all of these. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's a drug that's been around for a long time, has a lot of different indications, but, uh, still not without, potential long-term side effects. And so one of the black box warnings with azathioprine is chronic immunosuppression mm-hmm. um, and then also increased risk of malignancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, spe- you know, specifically in patients with IBD, we already kind of have a worry about that. So um, increased risk of like lymphomas, things like that. Right. And so the idea behind using these is really to reduce steroid use. And right. so you're kind of making a cost benefit analysis there between the two, which side effects would you rather have? Yep. Um, or captopurine, similar to azathioprine. Um, the the one thing with azathioprine is it is technically a uh, a prodrug, so it has to be um, metabolized by thiopurine methyltransferase or TPMT. Um, and so the someone that has um, is getting started on azathioprine, um, you should get them uh, tested to have this like genetic testing to make sure they are showing that enzyme. Otherwise, it's not going to be uh, very effective. Um, the Crohn's disease, I know for sure they've mentioned that in the guidelines that if someone's going to be on this drug, you should get that testing done. I'm not sure if the ulcerative colitis guidelines also recommend, but it's probably a good idea. Not super expensive anymore. Yeah, I'm, I don't say anything about it in the guidelines. Um, but the guidelines in their last updated recommendation do say something about um, fecal transplant, but only in the context of clinical trial. I think we talked about that. And I think in the Crohn's episode, I mentioned the poop shakes, and I was like, you know, I couldn't find any evidence of poop shakes, and I just thought I was an idiot for saying that. But apparently, the very first fecal transplants, found this out recently, uh, was in China back in, you know, way back when, when, you know, China's been around for a while. Uh, they just basically mixed, uh, they, they decided that this might be an idea. So they mixed feces into some type of drink shake option. Um, and bada bang, bada boom. Those were the first fecal transplants. Like, you know, however long ago, don't, don't remember the exact date, but how many times have you said, bada bang, before my time, uh, podcast? at least once per, I think. I'm pretty sure there's been a couple instances yeah. of that. It's cool. <laughs> it's a sound effect. Yeah. Um, I, I still am not a fan of, of the poop shakes. <laughs> I mean, you know, we talk about poop a lot, though, you know? So one of us brings it up. (laughs) One of us brings it up more than the other, but that's fine. We won't point fingers. I I bring up uh, poop and ED. Those are my my two things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Cialis is generic now. I am, yeah. Yeah. Tadalafil. That's that's the one. Tadalafil. (laughs) Tadalafil. That's how I remember it. Oh, geez. Anyways, everyone just turned us off now. Keep it PG. Sorry. (laughs) I think you'll know how it works. Anyways, um, so we mentioned the uh, immunosuppressants. Let's also talk about uh, the TNF-alpha inhibitors. We already kind of talked about them, but... Yeah, um, so infliximab. there's... Yeah, infliximab, Remicade. I've seen that used. Uh, Humira, you're probably more familiar with from the commercials, Adalimumab. Um, there's also Symponi, mm-hmm. uh, Galimumab. Yeah. Uh, those are the three TNF-alpha blockers. Um, and then there's also one other that's kind of more of a 
I uh, wouldn't call it a last line option, but I think it's just kind of new. It's um, Intivio. Vetalizumab mm-hmm. uh, is a JAK um, inhibitor, which is Janus kinase pathway inhibitor. Um, and, you know, I won't get into the weeds on that. But there's also Zeljans, um, Tofacitinib. You've almost definitely heard of Zeljans. It's literally what is coming up as the little banner ads on the website I'm looking at right now. Um, and, yeah, those are the those are the primary... Um, the new kids on the block, the, uh, it seems like for any autoimmune or inflammatory condition, we're talking about the, the MABs, the MABs. Yep. Um, the Intivio, um, that one is also used in Crohn's as, as well. Um, so that's something you, you definitely may see more of, um, Got a, yeah, like Cole says, got kind of some uh, pretty broad, I guess, mechanism of action, but um, it's a separate separate class um, compared to like the other agents. So the other ones that are specifically blocking TNF alpha, this one is kind of separate. So you can kind of think about it as an alternative option and not just like you know a similar agent to what's already been used. Yeah, I think I said it was a JAK inhibitor. The Zeljans is the JAK inhibitor, uh, and Tivio is actually an alpha four integrin inhibitor. Okay. Yeah. Good. I was th- I was super. There's I was my like, huh. correction. Yeah, you're pulling up like oh, it's, it's cold. It, 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 you know. I was thinking I was just like totally thinking about it wrong. I was like, yeah. oh, Tivia, maybe that's a different drug. That's just me flipping stuff around. Nice, keeping people on their toes. Yeah, you know, you're hopefully welcome. y'all notice that, right? You're welcome for people who know the mechanism of actions of these monoclonal <laughs> antibodies. Man, I just get the new drug updates, and eighty percent of them are just you know monoclonal antibodies yeah. for all sorts of junk. There's a ton of them. It's coming impossible out. to keep up with them now. Impossible. Yeah. Um, okay, so going back to the algorithm, um, moderate to severe active ulcerative colitis. They recommend against monotherapy with like the thioprins. Um, they want you to, if you're going to use one of the more guess, hardcore agents, if you will, um, they do recommend anti-TNF-alpha therapy um, for induction of remission. So that is, is considered a strong recommendation from the new guidelines. They do not want you using azathioprine by itself. They want you to do one of the TNF alpha mm-hmm. inhibitors. Um, and then, uh, someone who, let's say they've failed, um, mesalamine therapy. Um, if they are needing TNF alpha antagonist or inhibitor rather, um, in, you know, for, to induce that remission, um, they do not add or suggest adding the mesalamine to the TNF alpha inhibitor in order to like, compound the efficacy or something like that it's they just say to go ahead and just use the anti-tnf alpha therapy yeah so you don't have to try to get fancy yeah um and there is also if somebody has like really severe disease and they need to be hospitalized there's other things you would do obviously we're talking more outpatient but um iv steroids and uh those sorts of things that's when you're looking for toxic megacolon and um trying to keep them from dying yep um so the other thing is it's kind of a, a different um, recommendation is infliximab or Macade. If you are going to use that one for induction therapy, um, they recommend, um, and specifically in moderate to severe, um, they do recommend the combination with azathioprine. Um, that actually comes from a study that was done in Crohn's disease. Um, and if you look at the Crohn's guidelines, they are much more big on adding the TNF-alpha with one of the immunomodulators together. Um, they mentioned it specifically with infliximab because the SONIC trial um, 
compared infliximab uh, versus azathioprine versus the combination of the two and saw that the combo was significantly better um, than comparing them to the individual uh, agents themselves. I think the number needed to treat was like four and eight um, when you compare them to the individual agents. So the combo was much better. So they went ahead and I guess extrapolated that to ulcerative colitis as well. Um, I don't know of a study that looked at it specifically in ulcerative colitis, but um, Sonic's trial was Crohn's disease. And that's the one that uh, I think they're pulling that data from. Um, so if you have a patient that is um, being get, uh, severe, that has moderate to severe ulcerative colitis, you want to get them into remission. Um, I typically think, uh, unless they've been on some sort of therapy already, um, typically you want to go to one of the anti-TNF-alpha uh, inhibitors. And then if they fail that, then Intivio is another option as well. Um, and then once the other thing is once you get them into remission, you can also just keep them on the TNF alpha inhibitor. Um, I know like one of the immunomodulators, immunosuppressants are not recommended for that. It's like the thioprins um, are not recommended to induce that remission. But once you get into remission, especially if you've been using like steroids or something like that, it's okay to then switch to one of those to keep them in remission and hopefully um, increase uh, steroid sparing right. properties. Decrease side effects. Decrease them side effects. Or just give prednisone 40 milligrams a day for the next 50 years. As, you know. See what happens. It might take 10 years off their life, but at least they'll live UC-free, right? There you go. <laughs> or just give them some cigarettes. Probably, That's true, yeah. Probably encourage everyone thing. to smoke. Yeah. That's important. Uh, Write that down. At least a pack a day. <laughs> at least. That is the core consult official recommendation. Oh, jeez. Do <laughs> you imagine? No holds barred. Um, got anything else for treatment? I've, I've got some, like other management therapies. That's it, man. Go for so, it. So obviously it takes a significant psychological toll. So as far as counseling goes, they're like, um, or um, psychological therapy apparently doesn't do a whole lot, at least in the studies they've looked at. I mean, it can, it can you know, improve their state of mind, but obviously it's not going to uh, induce or, or maintain remission or um, have steroid sparing effects. They do say m mindfulness um, because there is sometimes a significant um, anxiety component to it. Mindfulness can um, will not in improve uh, remission rates, uh, but it can improve overall quality of life scores, which, of course, is important for these patients. Um, acupuncture might have people ask you about this. Um, um, you know, I've learned not to totally discount Eastern medicine. Uh, in, hmm, in, my, in my just years, <laughs> right? Um, especially because there's, I mean, there's such a significant placebo effect, especially in anything that has a psychological component. So, um, acupuncture may improve response to treatment for UC. Um, they, they, uh, looked in, they, they compared actual acupuncture versus sham acupuncture. And apparently, um, the actual acupuncture was not clearly more effective but the acupuncture in general was actually kind of effective. So what does that tell us? It's probably a placebo. Um, you know, I mean, if somebody wants to get a bunch of little needles stuck in them and it helps their UC, um, sure, why not? Uh, and even though Mike does not like the fecal transplants, um, in IBD, um, there's one made analysis looking at um, about 12 studies, over 100 patients, had about a 78% treatment success with um, a fecal microbiota transplantation um, with IBD and of course, for this to be considered, it, they're probably going to have to have um, extremely severe um, UC, probably recurrent C. diff, and they have this this whole other picture going on. Um, but, you know, I think the poop, sh poop shakes are going to have a place in therapy going forward. If you say so. Yeah. 
Um, also, apparently, hyperbaric oxygen therapy um, mm. might improve response rates in patients with IBD, generally speaking. Hmm. So some interesting interesting things to consider. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So what else? Anything? I mean, we could talk, you know, keep going much more into a detail, but you know us. We don't like to do that. We could talk for years. You know, I think that we'll, we'll probably soon start taking some of these topics and just picking like, like we'll do one on TNF alpha blockers. We could do a whole episode on on those and yeah. side effects. Almost like you could write a whole chapter of a textbook with that. Could you really? <laughs> Thanks I to Piero. It, I think it's been done before. <laughs> yeah. So we do we do a lot of overviews, but um, yeah, we could obviously go into more detail. So if there's anything specifically as we kind of brush over certain things that you guys want to hear about, let us know. Uh, and you know, we'll do a whole whole half hour on it. Yeah. Why not? We may or may not just ignore your email. We might do that. We do that on occasion. <laughs> No, we respond to everybody. Mm, hope, well, well, as you say that, hopefully we've responded to everybody. <laughs> I was going to say, I can think of a couple where I remember reading the email and I'm like, did we respond to those people? Yeah, I always feel bad about that. I yeah. try to respond to everybody. So we, if, I, if I don't, my bad. It'd be nice because we, we don't just have one, you know, one place where things are sent, I guess, because it's, you know, Facebook, Instagram, email. So there's a lot of places people can contact us. Yeah, we actually have uh, um, probably five to 15 messages on just Instagram a day yeah. and Facebook messages get lit up. So yeah. Um, if we're not emailing you back, it's not just cause we have like one person. And Mike primarily responds. I try to contribute on occasion, but obviously it's, oh, well, some people are more dedicated than others. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> oh geez. Yeah. Funny jokes. <laughs> all right guys. Well, do you have anything else you want to add before I sign us off? That's all I got. Cool. Peace out. All right. So you guys, please let us know if you have any questions like Cole said. And then also if you have topics you want us to cover, let us know that too. Um, we definitely are always uh, looking for for new topics and stuff that actually interests you guys since you're the ones that listen. But um, thank you all so much for those of you who take the time to listen. We greatly appreciate it. Oh, also, I might do a shameless plug a few times. Sorry, to, please, I totally no, ruined your mojo. It. Oh my gosh, my uh, ending's ruined now. I know, just We're gonna have to totally redo it. Turn but, it off. But I might be. I, I would be precepting the South Carolina area coming soon. So what? Just uh, keep a lookout for me. It'll be a retail rotation. I'd love to have students. Just want to throw it out there. Throwing that out there. Yeah. There you go. Might as well use the platform for something. Right? For something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you're students listening, you definitely need to go check out Cole's rotation. If you need to, you, most schools. Um, Probably all schools require at least one community rotation, so yeah. at least you could hang out with Cole. So uh, maybe get email to be us, in the podcast. Email us for the deets. Yeah, there you go. You'll, you come on. So there you go. Um, but thank you guys for listening, and uh, we will catch you guys next time. Thank y'all.